So, any thoughts, questions? I just have something from uh, that I, you know, when I was reading this, it's a different. Um, I didn't haven't read it like this before. It's that verse in the second canto. Uh, Certainly, that heart is still framed, which, in spite of one's chanting the holy name with concentration, does not change when ecstasy takes place. Tears fill the eyes and hair stand on end. I had never read it that there is ecstasy, but the heart doesn't change. Because usually I just read it, you know, if you chant and you don't get ecstatic symptoms or something wrong. But actually, and in the commentary by Vishwanath, he says uh, that the real symptoms of change is forbearance and kindness and not just the external symptoms. But he... Um, says, the true signs of a transformed heart, forbearance, not wasting time, detachment, freedom from false prestige, fixed hope, supreme eagerness, a taste for always singing the holy name, attachment to describe the Lord's transcendental qualities, and affection for the places where the Lord resides. The external symptoms are common, whereas the internal signs are extraordinary. And he, his reading of this verse is that this is for the, because uh, we spoke yesterday about envy, so his reading is that, that that this really refers to those who are envious who have a hard heart. Um, Sanaka's criticism, their hearts must be made of stone, applies to those envious and offensive neophytes. So that that was just interesting, but I don't know, I just had never read that. It just shows, you know, you read things and you kind of think about them, and then just reading this is a completely different kind of thing. I was going to say, you know, just in, in a connection with that, a lot of times when you read in the Bhagavatam, devotees like Daksha, they saw, you know, the Supreme Lord, and, or, and they became, they had, they had ecstatic symptoms, but then their hearts weren't really changed. Mm -hmm. so maybe that would help explain, because I always wondered how is it that these devotees could have ecstatic symptoms and then go back to being the same way they were. He doesn't have the word for word. Huh. Famous verb. Real evidence of um, of bhava is not um, the uh, external symptoms of ecstasy. Actual evidence, which actual evidence of bhava, is the ninefold preliminary, so to speak, characteristics of bhava. Hmm. Uh, the attraction to live in a holy place, attraction for the holy name, forbearance, hope, uh, eagerness, and so forth. And those were cited by Vishwan Chakrati Thakur in, in the commentary. So this is the way by which we will determine who, who has bhava, because ecstasy may come from different uh, different causes or, or symptoms of ecstasy may come from different causes, even material causes. I fear your hair may stand on end and so forth. Or there are different kinds of, of uh, abhas or shadow or semblance of, uh, of bhava. There's uh, bhava by reflection, pratibhimba and chai. So by reflection and by shadow. So the, the shadow of bhava that is desirable that it will, if that comes in, one's very fortunate. 
by good association you get the shadow of bhava and it feels ecstasy so devotees may feel some get some idea of what bhava is like but it doesn't it doesn't um, endure hmm? they're blessed by that and that will very much have an effect to, to change their heart but if it comes by reflection with a whole other concept in mind like bhakti for moksha rather than bhakti for bhakti, bhakti for prem, bhakti, then, um, then that, that type of, that's called pradibhimba, or reflection. And um, bhakti Mahatakura has described this as undesirable. And, uh, and Rupa Goswami has described it similarly, bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, impersonalists may have uh, ecstasy, but their heart doesn't change, doesn't become soft towards Krishna in terms of bhakti. The bhakti is characterized by that kind of soft heart that that, that makes one um, non-envious, like we were hearing last night, liking to hear about Krishna and so forth. So, therefore, there may be symptoms of ecstasy, but to see who has actually bhav, is, is, whose heart has changed, and whereby, as a result of which, their character will change and these external symptoms will appear. So there are people who chant Hare Krishna, Pujapachinamra just says that in, in my body will chant Hare Krishna for, for moksha, and it's like um, throwing thunderbolts at Krishna or something like that. So, so what's in their heart when they chant? that will determine how pleasing it is to Krishna. So they may get some some semblance, some reflection of bhava. Mm-hmm. So their heart is like, uh, what does he say, like stone, like steel-framed. I think that probably translates like, translates like that. But um, there are also uh, devotees who are interested in, or appear to be, in the uh, in Shuddha Bhakti and are members of the Sampradaya and are pursuing it and so forth, and they do get some ecstasy, some bliss, so why they, why they continue. But their hearts do remain hard. We have, we have seen that, right? And um, the idea is that, that uh, in spite of their chanting and and uh, Harinama I mean, it's also trying to pay attention, even paying attention. So if you pay attention, then you get some abhas. Nama abhas is basically paying attention, but it's not pure chanting. Still, it may come, it may go, Nama abhas. And that means in these things, also sometimes Nama parad. And, um, Generally, it's, I believe in maybe in Madhuri Kanambini, Vishnu Chakrabhi Thakur has commented on this verse also, maybe that's where I'm thinking of at some length, but uh, I believe there that he also points out, and you can look that up, that, uh, I'm sure he comments on this verse, that um, the, uh, the cause of heart not changing, which is the symptom of, actual symptom of Bob. In a way, the verse wants to distinguish between what is actual Bob and what is an appearance of bhava. So it, symptoms of ecstasy may be an appearance of bhava, but bhava actually constitutes a change of heart. And there may be appearance of ecstasy for different reasons that don't 
It doesn't actually constitute a change of heart in someone. So that possibility lies there for reasons as I've, as I've explained. It may come, it may become in a coming and going or just a semblance of it or it may be coming from within it, with a different orientation than that of, of uh, an orientation to Shuddha Bhakti. So that possibility is there. That's what you're wondering about. How can there be possibility? So, so he said there is such possibility, but the real symptom of bhav is that is that the heart changes and it manifests externally in these ways, and he lists lists them. Um, but I think there in Madhuri Kanamani he also will uh, say that um, because of offense, maybe in Prabhupada's purport he also says that because of offense. So if the chanting is offensive, then it's not going to develop. It's not going. It's not going to um, result in bhava. So whatever appearance or semblance of bhava is there is is that only, and um, it doesn't necessarily have the heart to fully the power to fully fully change one's heart. The emphasis of the verse really is to not chant. Is that that your chanting must be offensive because the name has the power, and you're not getting the, deriving that from the name. So therefore, um, the problem lies with you, not with the holy name. Hmm? And, uh, and you know, we do see we do see hard-hearted people that, that chant their sixteen rounds, <laughs> and uh, and then we see I think you maybe mentioned there are people who are soft-hearted. But uh, but don't chant. So, soft heart is what is was desired. Of course, it means soft heart towards Krishna, also. And this kind of people who tend to be very hard-hearted, even while chanting, they tend to, as I was speaking last night, look at bhakti through the lens of morality rather than morality through the lens of bhakti, and um, they put a greater emphasis on on. Um, on a pure heart than on bhakti. The pure heart of bhakti is kind of, in a way, it's different than the pure heart of the moralist. Because you can have a pure heart, morally speaking, and have no bhakti. But you could have some bhakti and not still have a contaminated heart, such as the generosity of, of bhakti. And and when the heart becomes cleansed via bhakti, then it becomes soft. If it becomes cleansed via be a dharma or 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 gan marg it doesn't necessarily become soft renunciation can make the heart very hard so sometimes devotees we we, we come into the into the stream of bhakti into the river of bhakti from the streams of karma and gyan on which our material life is moving under the influence of the influence of acquiring karma and the influence of um, of, of rejecting, trying to acquire the world, trying to get away from the world. Or we try to acquire it, the more painful it becomes, and so we react and try to get away from it. So these, this is the influence of karma. And again, these are like streams that if they enter the river of bhakti, then they they have value. If not, they don't, because only the, only the, only the Ganges will go into the Bay of Bengal, but so many other tributaries will not. If they enter the Ganges, then they may also uh, enter into the ocean. So, karma and jnana, therefore you find knowledge and you find action within bhakti also. 
another way to think about it. But anyway, we come with these tendencies, so then you may understand, start to understand bhakti or misunderstand bhakti through the filter of the influence of jnana and karma. So you find devotees who have an emphasis on being morally upright, and that this is this, this is this is like the center of their focus and understanding, the hub around which their understanding of bhakti orbits. And so if someone is not, whatever, following the four regulative principles, he, you know, he's uptight with them. He thinks that they're, they're, they're a problem or something like that. And um, it, it irritates him or her. And then there are those, that's just kind of a crude example, but it happens. And then, then there are those who are, who are seeing it through the kind of filter of, of renunciation. And so there's a real strong emphasis on renunciation and fasting and sleeping less, and uh, and they they tend to push themselves in terms of those austerities and evaluate advancement in devotional service thereby by that standard. So one will evaluate the standard of advancement by their moral uprightness, and another will evaluate the standard by their degree of renunciation. And one who's got who's got more sukriti for bhakti and more capable thereby of understanding what's being said, what's in this, what the sadhus are teaching, what the scripture is saying, more of a feeling for it. His or her then hub around which everything will be evaluated is bhakti, the interest in bhakti, the softness of the heart of the person, and so forth. And they'll be confident that, oh, if the heart is soft and they're, they're, they're sincere, they have interest in hearing and chanting, everything else will come. So they'll just want to fan the flame of that. Someone else will say, you know, first follow the principles, then, then, then chant. You know, first, for, first become pure to an extent. Or I hear sometimes from devotees, how do I know that I'm, you know, qualified for initiation? My answer is, you're not, nobody's qualified. It's not, a, it's not a thing you become qualified for. If there's any qualification, it's that you have faith that, that this path, that the chanting of the holy name is, uh, can, and bhakti can bring one all perfection. If you have faith, then you can enter the path, according to Rupa Goswami, which is a great, which is a gift then. You'd be gifted that opportunity because you have that kind of faith by association. By association, you get it. And that's the criterion. So, what do you do to qualify yourself? Actually, someone else qualifies you by awakening faith in you. Now, a particular guru may say, I will initiate you until I see you've come to this standard. That's hipped up, up to that particular guru. But the actual Shastric qualification is not a particular moral standard that one has risen to or a particular degree of, of renunciation and detachment that one has developed in order to enter the stream of uh, the river of bhakti. So I think that you, because we, the devotees come from that background, that's material life, right? Then they start to see, they will see bhakti through that particular filter and they'll have a particular emphasis. And some of them can be pretty mean-spirited, hard-hearted, very judgmental, and so forth. Bhakti is extremely uh, generous and uh, forgiving and, uh, and it has the power to be. And that, that the point of that is that bhakti is so powerful. 
And the, and the other converse of it is, no matter how morally pure you are, bhakti has no, it doesn't interest bhakti. She's not interested in that. That doesn't qual. Oh, here's a morally qualified person. Uh, I better go to him. And she doesn't think like that at all. Has no power to attract bhakti. And renunciation has no power to attract bhakti. And bhakti has the power to make one morally uh, stout and uh, and and renounced. Those are byproducts of bhakti. So they have they have no purchasing power in and of themselves for bhakti. So the evaluation of one where one where one is, so to speak, in terms of realization in bhakti, should be calculated in a different way than by the standard of how pure their heart is or how renounced they are. Renounced they are. Now it's true if they are advanced, they will be renounced. If they're advanced, their hearts will be pure, and, and so on and so forth. That's true. That will come, as I say. That's a byproduct of it. But um, but sometimes we see that people expect a certain even to get involved. For them to get involved, Mahaprabhu was involving Nityananda Prabhu was involving the lowest people in bhakti. Jagai and Madai were said to be the personification of uh, of uh, sinfulness. Hardly were they dharmic, and he wanted to give them bhakti, give them the holy name. So that's the generosity and the, and, and the power then of bhakti also, and and of course shraddha, which is our eligibility to tread the path. You see. Then you wonder how much people are treading the path because they don't have that much faith in bhakti. They have more faith in, in renunciation or in, uh, in in being, you know, morally righteous and and so forth. Then they actually have faith in the power of bhakti to to make to enable one to do that. And it may come in time. See, something else is going on in the meantime. Heart is becoming cleansed. One's one's building a house in the spiritual world. One's making an investment there. One's paying his mortgage for the house that he'll move into, house of bhakti in Goloka. It's being paid. And when it's being paid in the beginning, you know, it's mostly just interest, so you don't see any anything going up, you know. You're paying for the house to be built. It's, it, you don't see much. You just pay an interest. But it's going on. It's going on. And, and, and meanwhile, you may see other things that stand out in a devotee. Therefore, it said even in an advanced devotee, you may find something that stands out in his or her character that seems unbecoming. And it should, you should look past that, we're told. Gita says that. Bhagavad says that. That should be looked past. So somebody can't look past that. Then the question is, how much are they actually treading the path of bhakti? How much faith do they have in, in bhakti? They actually have faith in bhakti and its efficacy and so forth, then they're not so concerned about the, these things, these apparent uh, discrepancies. Now, you know, it gets problematic when the discrepancy comes in the teacher of bhakti, then it becomes more problematic to, to deal with and so forth. But, but overall, even then, we should have some, even then we're recommended to have a generous attitude. And all of the difficulty of devotees to, to, to be able to have that generous attitude is evidence of their lack of understanding of bhakti. It's hard to understand. Think about it. That's why you, how could it be that, you know, I'm supposed to look beyond that, you know. Not in all respects, but you may have to distance yourself, but still, from a distance, you're to look beyond that and see he or she anyway, they're doing the bhakti and chanting and, I mean, we're to think that people who are chanting 
whose behavior and character isn't good, they're still to be respected from a distance. So if you get too close, then those things will show up more than the fact that they're chanting, because they're right there <laughs> in your face, so to speak. So you have to keep enough distance to have respect. But it's it's it's, it's hard to you see like. The statements in Bhagavad Gita of Krishna Sarvadharma and Prithyajamami come from This is an extremely revolutionary statement. It's, it's mind-boggling for religious people. It doesn't seem as mind-boggling to people who aren't don't come from such a religious background based on the Veda and the importance of Dharma and the Varnashram and ad- adhering to all the proper duties and ways of behavior and so forth and so on. And Krishna's saying there, and he's, he's saying, just don't worry about all that stuff. Just just have faith in me, that's all. Just surrender to me. And then sin and come to me, he says. Because so, I mean, if you don't do the, if you act contrary to the moral guidelines of the Dharma Shastra, then from a religious perspective, you're sinful. He's saying, forget all that stuff and just surrender it to me. It's like, whoa, and Arjuna's, you know, whoa. In the sixth chapter, he says, you know, what if I, you know, like, give up the Dharma and, like, become a yogi like you're talking about, a, a bhakta, and, uh, I'm, you know, then I'm, I'm not successful on that path, then where am I going to be? And Krishna says, don't worry, you'll be successful. That's what he says, basically, don't worry. You'll be successful. You don't have to worry about that. So these are really powerful statements and, and sometimes the devotees they don't understand it as, as such they go yeah they, they, they seem to readily identify with it they don't come from that kind of a background of being brought up for years and, and lifetimes for example let's say you know, in, in, in India generations of that type of adherence to Dharma and so forth and the, the emphasis of, on that the importance of that and uh, so they more readily seem to embrace that kind of statement of the Gita or statements of the Bhagavatam that are as much or more revolutionary. From the Gyan point of view, it's also like shocking. What? You know, I put all this time into renunciation. I'm really just you know living on leaves that fall from the trees. I I sleep on the bare ground. You know, I don't wear shoes. I uh, you know, I'm constantly. Um, Studying the Upanishads and so forth, and 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 this is you know, Krishna's not interested in this, and this is this is this is nowhere compared to Bhakti, and these other people just chanting and dancing and feasting, you know, and, and they're better. It's very difficult for them to understand. These are very very powerful statements, and when we say Bhakti is easy and generous, we mean in relation to Gyan, in relation to Yoga, in relation to Karma Mark and so forth. But the fact of the matter is that devotees really don't understand it that well. They understand, they're not burdened by a background of, of Gyan Samskar or a, a Dharma Samskar. But nonetheless, they still have their material conditioning. They are still operating under the influence of taking and, and rejecting, exploiting the world and, and moving away from the world. So it, it shows up nonetheless in them, it's a lack of faith and understanding of the efficacy of bhakti that doesn't allow them to be generous with others or to evaluate, it forces them to evaluate by standards other than interest in Krishna. 
uh, and it doesn't allow them to be to be generous with people. I mean, there's so much of this on the internet. You find it's just a lack of generosity amongst uh, devotees writing these, criticizing other devotees. And many of them did much more than they've ever done in, in, in their life for the service of the mission, uh, for Prabhupada and so forth. Maybe people, they were personally known by Prabhupada and, and Prabhupada had affection for them personally and so forth. So then they have some problem and it becomes a problem for others who are under them. That's a fact and so forth. But still, if you understand bhakti, then you have to be generous. And so uh, it's not that easy to to catch. So the, the question arises as to what extent they're even treading the path. If the eligibility is faith in bhakti, shodhavan, full faith, Krishna says in the Gita, we don't understand the shodhavan on the suyat. Full faith and not envious. Then you can tread the path. And that means you could have all kinds of material desires also, but you have faith in Krishna. You're not envious of him, means you, you're not troubled to sit and hear about hear him. Hear about him. Talk about himself. How great he is! <laughs> it doesn't bother you. It makes you happy. So it's a very bhakti is a very uh, subtle kind of a path. Therefore, in the ninth chapter, we were reading talking to the ninth chapter. He says this is guyatama. It's a very secret kind of knowledge. And he, he's speaking. You know, the, the, he's speaking to religious people, to renunciates, and trying to turn their whole religious conception on its head. And it's very difficult to understand. Bhakti can automatically give one knowledge and uh, for liberation and more. And it is it is the highest knowledge. It is the highest dharma. And then what to speak then? That, that what is the highest example of bhakti? Some village girls running off with you know, cheating on their husbands, basically. And, you know, it's, it's very, if you really think about it, it's like shocking idea. Because you have good association, you get involved and so forth like this. Maybe a powerful person like Prabhupada comes to give you association, just get caught up and get involved with other people thinking about it. I mean, this is your ideal, these ladies cheating on their, on their husbands. How do you, you know, of course there's a wealth of philosophy to explain all that, but there's there's... Even devotees know the philosophy and say the gopis are pure and so on and so forth. They don't really often understand it, what the implication is. It's really making a very strong statement also about the power of bhakti. So I think that's, um, that's why you find that you, there are devotees with hard hearts, as you say, or they're, they're very kind of... Uh, Renunciation makes for a hard heart, and dharma makes for a hard heart too. None of these, neither of these, will make for soft heart. If one becomes morally stout, then it generally fosters a kind of a kind of a hard heart. Renunciation, more so. It's their 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 um, self. How you say? Probably would call it ascending paths. They still have to take help from the descent. The revelation and so forth, in order to be even be successful, but but their own effort. You know, bhakti is not dependent upon your effort. You have to give your effort, but even if you give all effort, you still might not get bhakti, pure bhakti. Krishna has to give it to you. You have to make the effort. You have to have the grace. You could have just the grace. You can't have just the effort. Just the effort is not enough. 
grace is, is, is enough. But don't wait. You have to make the effort. You don't just wait for grace and say, well, when grace comes, I'll make the effort. But uh, it's a mercy path, really. It's a, it's a special concession. It's an overriding of the judicial system, practically. You know, the judicial system is determines your karma and so forth. And there are ways. The whole Dharma Shastra is a whole system. You know how to deal with the karma. You've done this. Got to go take a bath in the river with your clothes on. You've done that. You have to do this, and you know all these ways of dealing with the thing. That's the that's the law. Bhakti just comes and just overrides the law. The judge says, eh, "Mercy, we're giving mercy here," and people go, "What?" I jumped in the river so many times. <laughs> you know, this guy's still doing that, and I'm not even doing it. And it's still, and he's, and he would get the uh, favor of the Lord and so forth. He's in a better position than me. It's, it's hard to. So it's a, it's a whole mercy uh, kind of a path and the generosity of, of Bhagawan. We have to situate ourselves such to attract that that mercy. That's all. That's the effort. It's kind of effortless effort. Position yourself such that he'll be sympathetic to you. So it's very backward. And it's, it's not like self-asserting, pushing. Uh, therefore, probably like appropriately avaroha pantai, we call it a descending path. It's fully descending. Even the path by which we make effort and ascend in Dharma Marg or in, 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 in Karma Marg or Gyan Marg, still is some, without the descent, there's no possibility of making progress on the paths either. The paths are delineated in scripture and so on and so forth. You have to hear from Revelation. But, but nonetheless, they involve effort by which one can be successful without mercy. You can be successful, or very little, let's say. I mean, we don't call it Bhagwan's mercy that somebody gets to go to heaven. From our perspective, it's not mercy at all. It's, it's like, okay, he's keeping, or to send him into the Brahman forever. Just get rid of him. We don't call that Christian mercy. He puts him there and never have to deal with him again because they don't want to deal with him. They, beyond the Gyani so much doesn't want to do anything. Doesn't want to acknowledge any any duty, any obligation. So let him retire in the Brahmajot to get rid of him forever. And then to get to give someone else material acquisition or send him to heaven. We don't even consider that mercy. The blessing has to come if they can get it, those things ultimately. But what they're doing is making huge effort for it. It's a, these are us ascending paths. Very different from bhakti, and then you see that in bhakti, people are are applying themselves as a, as if it's an ascending path, and and if they know that my progress is is dependent upon mercy, then they're, they're going to think about it a little differently. Puja Pachitamarsh used to say, "Well, we we're all standing in line for mercy, and if somebody says, hey, why? How come he got to go first? I got here first.'" And now you're calling on him, and he's going forward. Then you go to the back of the line. <laughs> That's it. Back of the line. In other words, you can't call for justice when you yourself, your spiritual life is a result of mercy. How can you make a claim for justice? 
whole bhakti is all mercy. Mercy is overriding justice. There is justice. There has to be justice for there to be an overriding of justice in the form of mercy. It's a whole path of mercy. So if people understand I've gotten where I've gotten by mercy of Guru and Krishna and the Vaishnav, then they have a different way of thinking about other people in terms of their progress and where they might be at on the path and so forth. So it's difficult to understand, difficult to uh, to embrace. We have these other whole other sense of qualification, value, and so forth that we we put in there. We plug into the whole, and that's largely what you see. So the question arises: to what extent they're on the path, or you know, kind of an skewed way, they're kind of off center on it. And to understand it properly, you're properly centered, that requires some sukriti, some mercy. Sukriti's merit, it's merit that comes even right, unknowingly. That's how you begin, right? Beginning of the movement in 26-second avenue seems to be a perfect example. He just yeah. got him to chant and didn't even know what they had to do, kind of, you know, they liked it. And then he told them the rules. And they offered toilet paper and he was like... That's right, his spiritual life is beginning. You may not be in order. Yeah. And probably would try to bring his disciples to certain standards and so forth as far as possible, but he was generous with them. A very generous person. So, such is the nature of bhakti. It's actually, as I say, it's quite difficult to really understand it. It seems like with renunciation and, and um, morality, both of those things, that if you had the right you know, if you were doing it in a, in a service attitude, then it could be helpful. But the problem, it seems, that people become proud, and that's what, if it's the pride that seems that... Pride coming from... From, from you know, like you're saying, it's an ascending path, so they're feeling like, you know, proud that I'm doing this. And yeah. I, you know, and so and what does that have to do with bhakti? Yeah. Right? Yes. Coward boys, they sleep till six in the morning. In Goloka. They miss Mongol Arctic. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Problem. I mean, the other side is there too, also. Renunciation will come. So if it doesn't come, Janiyati Ashu Vairagyam Gyanam Jayadahoitakam. It should come very quickly. One is practicing bhakti. But, it's, but, but then what is the renunciation? That's a whole other thing. Why is it done? Mm-hmm. It's accepting the things that are favorable to Krishna and rejecting the things that are that are unfavorable. So it's it's a complex, uh, it's a simple subject, but we're very complex. We come with a different um, background, through material conditioning, and it's so it's it's hard for the even the devotees to understand the path. And you get all these skewed understandings, off-center kind of evaluations, and uh, it's a problem. So, Mahari, you had a question last night I didn't let you ask. Can you remember it? I was just wondering um, <clears throat> why... Um, I have a couple questions, but one of them was about the husbands of the gopis. Um, 
it seems like a really, I know it's a pastime, so I'm trying to deal with that, but it just seems like it would be so weird to have to have a husband and a family and then have, you know, love for Krishna. You know, I, and, they're, and they're always saying in the, at least in the Vedavita, the pastimes are all, they're always talking about, you know, how bad their position is because they have these husbands that aren't favorable to Krishna and, and never want them to go see Krishna and it just seems like, you know, horrible. Like, you're being up. Well, they think it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they agree with you. It's horrible. It's horrible, but... Um, that's Leela, as you say. That's a pastime. And um, the uh, prominent example of the married lady is Radharani, and her her husband is a manifestation of Krishna, also Abhimanyu. It's a particular manifestation of Krishna. So she actually, her husband is actually Krishna. Krishna expands himself as to play that role. So it is all you know drama. And. Uh, because it all ultimately facilitates the, for the gopis, for example, the the bhav of parakya that's so pleasing to Krishna. Therefore, you have to judge a thing by its result. So the result is that it's so pleasing to Krishna, and to, so therefore, thereby, obviously, pleasing uh, to them. And it wouldn't be possible without. So you know. You have to, if you look at the whole picture, it's, then it makes it make makes sense. But um, but they don't yeah they don't feel, they feel it's a problem and uh, and uh, everyone feels it's a problem. Nobody in the Braj wants their girls to marry anybody but Krishna. And it's a it's a huge problem. <laughs> it's a problem for the husbands too. But you know, in low in the lower side, I suppose you could you can also draw from it the idea that. Um, there are there's negative impetus. How to take advantage of negative impetus in life for bhakti, for the sake of bhakti, we may find there are impediments, and um, that's only a perception. Because if they foster, like Kunti Devi is praying in Bhagwat, that the calamities that that um, the uh, Pandavas were, were were troubled by. She's seeing it in a positive light because of the result. It caused them to remember Krishna, and by remembering Krishna, they became free from the real problems of life, birth and death, and so forth. So, I suppose you could look at the Leela in that way also. It's another example of the the, uh, the fact that negative impetus, that the environment is friendly, to use Sri Marsh's language. It helped me. It looked bad, but it, well, it helped me, to, enabled me to do so. It, it pushed me in that direction, so must be good. So it's kind of what life is like. It's, uh, Malila is pretty much like what life is like. <laughs> it's uh, very human-like. So, so we are always faced with difficulties, and we try to avoid them. And in one sense, the lesson is: don't try to avoid them. They're actually good for you. They, 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 uh, they are lessons. And when you come to when you come to look at life like that, then life becomes itself becomes a drama, doesn't it? It's just a drama, and nothing is of that much consequence. When you lose that perspective, then that individual thing becomes a huge consequence, and you get caught up in that. When you look at it as a drama, only, and that there's something else going on, that all of these things that are happening, 
to me in terms of my life in the material world. And when I all look at it from the vantage point of, of sadhana, spiritual practice, this is what I'm really doing and so forth, they all become just, it all becomes like a, like a drama. And it all becomes not, not only tolerable, but in some instances what might be seem intolerable, something that can be uh, embraced and uh, appreciated and, and so forth. So bhakti has that kind of power to turn the negatives into, into positives, like love, right? Love has the power to do that. Therefore, you say that you love someone, their faults become ornaments. So it's a path of love, and uh, and when you really embrace it as a sadhaka, then you're living in this world kind of superficially, and things are happening, and you're seeing it all from that perspective of your your bhakti and your practice. This is past past karma coming, you know, or whatnot, and just okay, here we go, <laughs> and it's just a drama. It's not of much consequence. So think of the lila. You can think of. In terms of the lesson for real life, so to speak, here in this world, and that's what and kind of it's saying to us. That's what life is like. But the good, the bads, are actually goods. It's a magic question of angle of vision. Yes, they're complaining about their husbands and oh, it's a problem and so forth. But but that's just the drama. They're, they're tasting parki bhava for Krishna. So the Leela is very, you know, it's very instructive to us. It's, it's very, and, and be, being the Prayojan as it, as it is, that love of Krishna, and the goal is much more instructive about real life than the Gyanmarg, which has nothing to tell us about real life except that it's, it's a problem. It's a problem, it's a problem, it's a problem. And Bhakti is saying there's no problems, there's only service, opportunity for service, that's all. That's a different, whole different reading of the world. Maybe you meet people like that sometimes. They'd like problem, problem. <laughs> All right, let's get in there. Got to fix it, you know. <laughs> so some people do that artificially, but uh, Bhakti's kind of like that. Well, another opportunity to serve in that way. So, and again, a gyan reading doesn't have any practical insight for us in the world, just to move away from the world, that's all. So, what else? Yes? Well, um, in my view, CDs, you were saying that to go outside of bhakti um, and grab on to other things to kind of give bhakti a, a lift, or just kind of, a, I can't remember how you said it, but to go outside of bhakti isn't and I don't really know what the word was that you used, but it wasn't really good to do that. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of like a therapy or other things that you might like using the tool to try to help you in emotional service. Now, is that what you meant? I was just well, nothing can give bhakti but bhakti. Right. Only bhakti can give bhakti. And so, there's nothing more powerful than hearing and chanting as far as the more efficacious as for purifying our heart and, and uh, making our life complete. That should be clear. Nonetheless, depending upon our stage, progress in bhakti, our faith in bhakti, our experience in bhakti, then um, 
in a practical sense, we may take help here or there. You may get sick and not just chant Hare Krishna. You might go to the doctor. But theoretically, just chanting could, could cure you. Or Bhaktivinoda cursed good health because in good health uh, one would have a tendency to forget about Krishna. <laughs> it's just a, kind of a strong strong position, you know, to be make a statement like that. So most devotees are not in that position and even Acharyas have set an example, Prabhupada set an example. He saw doctors and so forth for physical illness other than in psychological, you know, illness and so forth or whatever, dysfunctions or something, then there are the doctors for that also. So I, I, a monk has to maintain um, his life a grihasta has to maintain uh, her life too. So, but there are different standards by doing that. So, the monk has a begging bowl. He gets to go from door to door and ask for food. He doesn't just sit there and wait for Krishna to drop it in his in his mouth. You know, in a higher standard than my, my I guess Madhavendrapuri is. You know, was had to be like that. But he has a, an allowance for a bowl. So, there's some parameters, right? To uh, be to be in the world, and and on the path of bhakti, and we we don't think that anything will in and of itself in any something independent of bhakti will give me bhakti. But if I can't practice bhakti, let's say my mind is so disturbed that I can't can't hear and chant, then if I can talk to someone like say a therapist or something and then and they can help me to resolve issues and I become peaceful and I can chant and something like that that might be more the it's not helping it's not giving you bhakti but um, helping to remove some impediment to your being ability your ability to participate in bhakti something like that Does that answer your question yeah being in the mode of goodness doesn't give you bhakti, but it's favorable. Varnashram isn't a bhakti, but it's a good, you know, to be, it, it, as much as it's about being balanced and in material life, then that's useful. Like I say, if you're standing on two feet, you better better prospect for jumping up and touching the stars than if you're standing on one and try from there. So, so therefore, there's a moral, religious kind of... Uh, Usually, of course, again, we were talking about bhakti overriding that, and that's, that's the case, it's true. But nonetheless, bhakti will, will uh, does you know, make one morally correct and whatnot. It, 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 I suppose it can make one psychologically functional rather than dysfunctional over time. Namaparad can do, but... Um, but there's some place, my point is, there's a, just like there's a place for eating. Uh, well, of course you offer your food and so forth, but uh, the, the, every every devotee, depending on their situation, has some quota, so to speak. Like the monk has the begging begging bowl kind of idea. Hmm? It's not outside of the context of bhakti. He may be begging for the deity, but... I don't think that Bhakti Siddhanta or Siddhartha had done the thing. Maybe sannyasis weren't allowed to use medicine or something. I think I read that once. Yeah. But, Bhak, but Prabhupada did. And Siddhartha did also. So maybe 
maybe at a certain point they did, I, I don't know. But that's a bit uh, extreme. Uh, what is it, the Christian scientists? Don't go to dunk. Uh-huh. There's a controversy. Sometimes their child will die. Oh, yeah, this doesn't sound good. But at the same time, didn't Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati allow his disciples to like eat grains on a codice or mm-hmm. yeah. meat or whatever they needed to do? Yeah. I mean, Bhakti's also very, just very pragmatic also. Very common sense. Some Bhaktas are doctors also, like Murari Gupta was a doctor. He dealt with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's indigestion. So, I have a question from uh, uh, Shilananda. It's I don't know all the remember all the details, but there's a in the Chaitanya Charitamrita particular. I don't know if she's a queen or something. She gave her. She wanted to give her pearl to the deities, and did she have a dream or something? She actually got pearl, and then he appeared and told her that he had a whole set. So, so the question was, they were thinking, well, if you've used it, how can you give it to the deity? I mean, they they thought of different answers, like it's Lila, or she's a great devotee, or no. The principle is that you should give to Krishna things that are dear to you. The more it's dear to you, the more there's giving involved. Therefore, if you really like pizza, for example, you really like it, and you think it's the best thing, then you give Krishna pizza. You offer him pizza. Because you can put, you can really feel like, this is, I'm really giving him something. I'm going to all this trouble to make a pizza. For, and it's, I love pizza, and this is my favorite dish. I'm going to offer it to Krishna. You can put your heart into it more, and what he's really accepting is the heart. So the things that you like, the things that are dear to you. So the pearl in her nose was dear to her, but she wanted to give it to Krishna. So it's, that's the spirit of it. Hmm. Well, the spirit of it is that what's being given is the heart. The extent that it's not involved, they're not really giving. If you have a piece of jewelry, let's say that was your grandmother's and that you have and it's so beautiful and you love it and you want to give it to your deity. Yeah, he'll accept that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. The more you're attached to it, the more you, and, and the giving it is more of a sacrifice on your part. So is this an example of like the rules versus the heart? Because she's looking like, oh. Well, well no, I mean, I, and that makes total sense to me, but it's just that, you know, we're always told that you can't offer something that's been already used to the deity. I mean, I remember in the very beginning, devotees would offer their bell-bottom jeans to the Lord, you know, because it was the thing that was most dear to them, you know. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> was Krishna bell-bottom blues. Well, the thing, the point is that it, that, it, that it's dear to you. You, you know, whatever it may be, everything's used. There's nothing that's not used. Everything's been around in one form or another here. You know. Keeps going around and changing hands. So um, there's nothing new in the material world. So anyway, if it's yours, you know, wherever you got it, whoever used it, whatever, it's yours now. You know, you go you, you go buy something and it's just in a store. Somebody else owned it before you you had it, right? 
and they were appreciating it and had thoughts about it, how it would bring them money and so forth. But now it's yours and it's dear to you and you're attached to it and you think it's important, so now you give that to Krishna. Yeah. Like what's that story of the person who was carrying a, a tray of like puffed rice and you know, and then the wind comes and blows it blows it away, so then he's like offering it because it's it's useless to him now. So when it goes, then he's like, oh. He's in the wheat, wheat field, and and then when the wheat, some of the wheat, he's harvesting and some blows in the wind, he says, Govinda Namaha, Govinda Namaha. His servant said, I, I give, but you never give anything to him. And then he said, what do you mean? Whenever the wind comes, I'm offered. That's why I say that giving is... You have to feel the pinching. If you don't feel any pinching, then you're not giving. Hmm. So, what's dear to your heart? That, that's what that's what you're giving up. That's not the thing, right? Krishna has everything. That's why he says, "Patram pushpam palam toyam." He says, "Wow, it's pretty simple." He's asking the fruit and the flower, but twice in the verse he says, "With bhakti, with bhakti." Mm-hmm. When you look closely, it's it's actually quite. He's asking quite a lot. He's asking for your heart. You give all kind of things and not give your heart, right? That's why the thing is not of much consequence. The item is not of much consequence. Everyone has a heart, <laughs> no matter what they have in terms of their economic standards and possessions and so forth. Everyone has a heart, and that's what he wants. So you have nothing, by, or very little, by material standards, but you give with your heart, then. And that's the whole idea of Ragmarg. I mean, Raghunathas Goswami had to go over to Anshila Mahaprabhu, told him what, what to offer, a couple of leaves of Tulsi and, you know, and uh, Sandesh. Because if you read carefully, see he's telling you you have to give your whole heart here. This is, this, this deity will only accept that standard. Govardhan's a Ragmarg deity, so he's only going to accept this standard. Hmm. Other deities may take, may take less. And then you don't get as close to them either. That's the whole idea of Vrindavan, so close to Krishna. Because you've given everything. So the giving is of the heart, is, is of yourself. That means the, 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 you're, the, you're the item <laughs> you're being offered. And what are you? You are your attachments. So there are things then that correspond to your attachments that you're attached to and you give them. That's the idea. And then that's how you change your person, because your personality is what you're attached to. Therefore, a guy smokes a certain kind of cigarette, he drives a certain kind of car, that's me. You know. I drive a, you know, whatever. And then, then they make this, all the advertisements, you know, just a suit. That, that's just, isn't that you, right there? That suit of clothes, you know, this car, this type of... And... Um, so in a simple way, I'm pointing out that what we are, materially speaking, is our attachments. That's why in bhakti, when we talk about having a spiritual identity, the word comes asakti. It means attachment. So that t- attachment has been transformed. In bhakti, you know, when he comments on that verse of Shikshastakam, he talks about anadikarma. Anadikarma phole, babanaranavadhale. He speaks, he says, so long I've been in the material world, attached, and and uh, under the influence of karma and so forth. And he's saying this all going away. 
he's talking about it in a, conversely in a negative way. It's all going away. And so that identity is all based on attachment. We are our, our desires, materially speaking. And when that attachment is transferred to Krishna, then an identity in relation to Krishna develops. Therefore, Mahaprabhu was saying, Ayinanda Tanuja Kimkaram Putitamam Vishame Bhagavan Buddha. He's seeing himself in, re- in relation to the son of Nanda Maharaj, and an identity is surfacing in relation to Nanda Maharaj. He wants to live in the, he's saying, I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. That means I want to be married to Krishna. Because a girl would come and live in the house of the, of the father in law. Ayinanda Tanuja Kimkaram. I want to be Kimkaram, means a maidservant in the house of the son of Nanda Maharaj. So his, his identity as a, as a gopi, or in the bhava of Radha's awakening, as material attachment, that identity has been disassembled, deconstructed, and this attachment to Krishna has been cultivated and reached a certain point of identity starting to form. To give means then to give of yourself and and that's the, and that's the result too. Not only in bhakti, not only do you give the thing, and thereby give your that you're attached and give your heart, but then you go with it, you remain attached to it in relation to Krishna. So you give your money to the to pay for the printing of the book, and you and you you, you make sure you read that one real carefully. You know, you support a particular temple and you're there, you know, making sure everything's going right. <laughs> so you go there with your, you know, when you, you send your yourself there, so to speak. So not only do you overcome the attachment, but you develop a positive attachment. And you don't really have to give the thing up, right? The thing's still there. It's really only asking Krishna to come into your heart, let him and enjoy all the things in your heart and you become dear to him and so whatever he has you have it's very interesting isn't it it's a very different idea of renunciation it's all positive again bhakti is very very subtle and you could see how someone could go through the motions and not be involved in bhakti very much at all seems like it's normally emphasized that you like sacrifice the things that you're attached to but it seems like you could turn it around and just like uh, offer the things that you have aversion for like you do the kind of service that you hate for example <laughs> and that purifies you because you, you don't like to do it or whatever surrender right that's how it's usually used <laughs> yeah to a point I guess <laughs> I guess it's better to emphasize the attachments because it's easier to do or something. It's not that easy either. Yeah. <laughs> Bhakti is only easy in relation to karma and gyan and yoga. <laughs> you got to give it a context, otherwise it may be more. He's asking for everything. Karma and gyan, yogi is not asking for everything. And they don't get everything. It looks like they give more, but they don't have to give their heart. Only a little bit. Bhakti, you have to give your whole heart, and that's your that's where you are. Where your heart is, that's where you are. Wherever the heart is, then the body will will follow. 
Krishna's tricky in that way. It's, you know, fruit, a flower, a leaf. You know, well, it's just an easy path. <laughs> it seems like it's easy after you get through an Arjuna Vritti, but getting through an Arjuna Vritti is the, the challenging. Do or die. Uh, you're in fire there. Yes. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.